0: It's the Code St. Luke podcast, where you'll hear interesting topics and people brought together through the Code St. Luke Public Library. The views expressed by the commentators do not necessarily reflect the views of the City of Code St. Luke or the Code St. Luke Public Library. All right, with that out of the way, here is Hershey Dwoskin with In the Headlines.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in today on this uh, Tuesday, uh, the 13th of July. We're heading into the middle of summer and it's, uh, you know, it's according. Um, Before I get to the uh, main subject that I wanted to speak about, I felt that it would be worthwhile to mention uh, a couple of facts regarding um, American politics, which came up this week. Um the former president, Mr. Trump, spoke at the CPAC, which is a conservative political action committee, a meeting. Uh, it's a kind of what we'll call it a fundraising rally of strong backers of the party. So a political action committee is one which raises funds for a, a political party. And Trump was a star uh, speaker there, but not the only one. And what he was saying were things that were really quite uh, disturbing. Uh, First thing he did was he um, insulted the former Attorney General Barr, who he handpicked to be Attorney General after dismissing his other handpicked, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, both of whom were extremely partisan in the way they carried out their offices. So an Attorney General is really supposed to be not a servant of the President, but kind of, in a way, the chief um, the chief uh, head of justice of the government. And uh, Mr. Barr, uh, after faithfully serving um, the president and really taking a very partisan role in uh, defending Mr. Trump at all costs, uh, when the election came and the election was decided, he proclaimed that the election was run in a fair way that there was no miscounting of votes, that there was no real fraud in the election. And for saying that, he earned Mr. Trump's uh, sort of lifelong um, uh, disapproval. And he, uh, d- he dissed Barr in public at this CPAC meeting. The other thing he did was, which is you know even more frightening in a way, is that he said he was happy that President Biden did not meet his vaccination goal of getting 70% of the adults vaccinated by July the 4th. And when Mr. Trump said that, when he said, you know, uh, Biden failed in his goal, everyone was clapping, meaning that everyone was happy that not enough people were vaccinated. Now, you know, what, what kind of people could be happy uh, and cheer the fact that uh, America is not protected as much as it should be from COVID. After all, of course, even the president uh, had a, a very severe case of COVID. So this this kind of cheering goes to show, in a way, how partisan and how unreal and how divided the American body politic is. The American political um, life is. If you could cheer. I mean, imagining cheering the fact that so many people died of gunshot wounds or so many people died in car accidents and say, wow, this is a good thing. That, that's the equivalent of what these people did in the CPAC meeting. Um, uh, Trump, uh, e- even though the U.S. is sort of a bit falling behind in its goals to vaccinate people, and even though Trump himself got vaccinated sort of in secret, Uh, He never used the pulpit that he had to urge Americans who were not vaccinated to get vaccinated. And as you all know, and as you all heard, uh, the uh, case rate of COVID in the U.S. is now jumping uh, by considerable percentages. Uh, There are already some parts of the U.S., especially, of course, the Republican voting states like Missouri and Arkansas, where hospitals are filling up where the death rate is starting to go up and um, uh, Florida as well as one of the more affected states where, you know, they went from numbers that were really fairly low to going into numbers that are quite moderately, quite moderate. In other words, not not high yet, but certainly not low. And Trump could have um, asked his supporters, look, this is not a political matter, just get vaccinated and then you know the country will be better off. But he refused to do that at this conference. To go and show even how sort of um, uh, radical uh, people are about COVID, one of the star speakers is uh, um, Christy Noem, who's the governor of South Dakota. She accused her rivals Uh, Rivals, meaning people who might also want to run for president next time around. Uh, She accused Mr. DeSantis of Florida and Mr. Abbott of Texas of being too soft on COVID, of of closing down their states, which they hardly did, which they minimally did. But uh, South Dakota never closed anything. And so uh, she accused these people of being like um, uh, too uh, strict on on uh, COVID-related restrictions and therefore showing that she's the one who's uh, left everything open. Now, if you think Mr. DeSantis was strict on COVID, um, you know, uh, having spent the whole winter in Florida, I didn't see practically anything closed. Um, However, uh, Mr. Trump did touch on certain points that are, I would say, noteworthy and which are worthy of consideration uh, for the American um, public at large. And one of these, of course, is the increase in illegal immigration and attempted illegal immigration from Central America to the U.S. The U.S. is now being, uh, I won't say overwhelmed, but is being um, challenged by a very large number of people coming in who are attempting to come into the U.S. from the South. And, of course, Mr. Trump took a very hard line on this and, and um, you know hired lots of extra border guards to keep them out. He paid Mexico off to try to head them off before they got to the United States. And uh, now that Biden is in office, um, uh, word has gotten around that American officials are not as strict as they were. And therefore, there's a lot more people crossing the border, especially unaccompanied uh, children who are not allowed to be sent back. And so this is one kind of, we'll call it a sore point or, or a weak point I would say in the Biden administration. Another point that's brought up and is more controversial is the apparent concentration on race and looking at race in every in every issue from uh, drug enforcement to housing to policing to education. It's as if um, the only facts that matter are, you know, divided up by race. And it's a way in a certain sense of dividing people in the US and categorizing everybody as being kind of, uh, let's say, um, if you are uh, Latino or black, you're worthy of helping. And if you're not If you're white, then you're not worthy of helping. if you're Asian, you're swell. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. And, you know, we've noticed that ourselves uh, in just uh, a cursory look at American uh, news coverage on uh, on the basic, um, uh, we'll call the mainstream uh, uh, channels like CNN, it seems that in every conversation, race has some way of sort of sneaking its way in when it comes to, you know, highway, um, highway routing or mass transit uh, plans or anything else like this, they seem to always point out, well, what effect will this have on racial minorities or, or you know, this type of thing. And uh, it's my belief anyway, that uh, the mainstream America, meaning the non, the, the people in America who are Uh, considered to be of the white race or Caucasian race, who still at this point form a small majority of the population and certainly a larger majority of the voting population, that they are likely to get fed up about this uh, subject in the way it's presented. Now, we can draw a parallel now in Canada with the the Indigenous uh, people where it seems that in discussing anything from... uh, you know the price of uh I don't know the price of gasoline to uh, housing to anything else medical care and COVID it's always mentioned how the indigenous people are going to be affected either positively or negatively and too much emphasis on this uh, I think uh, eventually gets it has a negative uh, a negative um, result uh, of interest this past week a white uh, young man was shot and killed by police in Arkansas. And um, it was very interesting to note that the lawyers who usually represent the black uh, men who are shot like this jumped to for the chance of representing the family of this man in order to show that uh, police misconduct is not just uh, against black people but could be against anybody. And um, they uh, are willing to take up the the case um, just to publicize it. So, uh, you know, know, this is an ongoing case and we'll see what happens in the end. But it it goes to show that this is uh, something that um, piques people's interest. Just for statistical purposes, you should know that Somewhere around 170 uh, white uh, men were shot and killed by police, and around 100 uh, black men. So it's, you know, blacks being uh, 13% of the population are still well overrepresented. But in the total numbers, uh, there's still more white people killed by police than black people. Anyway, that's just an aside. And uh, something that sort of struck my fancy. Um, The subject that I want to speak about in somewhat detail, and you know, sometimes I I do uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, approach a subject in detail, so you really get to learn about it quite a bit, is uh, the assassination of the president of Haiti that happened this week. And I wanted to speak uh, in some detail about Haiti, just to learn about Haiti, what kind of a country it is, what its history is like, what's unique about it um how um you know how the political system developed and uh just to learn about a country which is a kind of a fellow french-speaking country in um, the new world in the western hemisphere and um so that we can get some ideas about what's going on in the country so first of all Haiti is located on an island, it's on the island of Hispaniola, which is, Hispaniola, which is um, shared with the Dominican Republic. So if you go to the Bahamas in, in the Caribbean and you go south of there, you come to this big kind of almost a rectangular shaped island with a kind of a, a bite taken out of it uh, on the left side, on the western side, and that's the island of Hispaniola, which was discovered or I should say it was landed in by Columbus in 1492. It was one of the very first places that the Spanish came to. Um, Haiti is occupying about three-eighths of the surface of the island, the western end of the island, and the Dominican Republic is now occupying the about five-eighths of the island, the eastern end of the island. It's very mountainous. In the old days, it was completely covered in forests. Um, There were people living there for at least 5,000 years, They called the Taino people, who were uh, people who had immigrated from uh, South America and Central America. And um, uh, when Columbus did show up in 1492, he left some of his men there on the island and formed the really the first, uh, we'll call it the first permanent settlement in the Americas was in, in what is today in Haiti um the um spanish uh, conquerors uh, gradually uh, went on to bigger and better things uh in mexico and peru and other places where they felt there was more potential there for money because they were kind of looking more for gold than anything else so gold and silver that was kind of easy easy money to get and there's not much of, uh, of those things in uh, on the island um um the um, uh, French were also interested in expanding their holdings in uh, in the Caribbean. And uh, Spain kind of gradually abandoned its possession in uh, Haiti and kind of gradually, Concentrated more on the east end of the island, and then the French took over the west end of the island. Um, But until 1697, which is quite a long time for 200 years, the whole island was owned by Spain, and the French took it over afterward. After that, Um, when the French actually took over the whole island at some point, and they called it Saint Domingue, which is like Santo Domingo, which is the capital of the Dominican Republic. And unlike the Spanish, the French actually made the island prosper. And what they did there was they grew sugar and coffee plantations. They grew uh, lots of sugar and lots of coffee. And if you remember maybe from other talks that I've spoken about, uh, in the 1700s, sugar was uh, the most expensive um, material that you could buy, the food material that you could buy. The price was huge. Um, It paid for France to import slaves from Africa to the plantations in Haiti in order to grow sugar and to cut it and to process it and to uh, to trade it worldwide. Um, so gradually then uh, settlers came from France to run these sugar plantations. And uh, at that time when things were going at their strongest in the 1700s, there were about um, 10 slaves for every white uh, owner. And that was about the uh, proportion, I would say. Um, uh, the slaves were extremely harshly treated. About a third of them died within a few years, from mostly from disease. Um, and uh, gradually, there was another element of society that, that developed, which is uh, the mulattoes, and some, bla- some Blacks were free from slavery. So this sort of a social group became a kind of a bridge between the French administration and the slaves. Um, There were somewhere, there's an estimation that I read where pre-Revolution, in other words, before the Haitian Revolution, there were somewhere around 25,000 whites and 22,000 mulattoes and 700,000 slaves uh, in uh, Haiti before uh, 1800. Now, if you think of that number, which would be seven hundred thousand plus another 50, fifty seven hundred and fifty thousand at the same time in French North America, which means not only Quebec, but all the lands that France had um, run before uh, they lost the war to the British in the same seventeen hundreds that would that would include uh, you know Quebec, uh, some of Ontario, the upper Great Lakes region, the Mississippi River region down to New Orleans, there were a total of 65,000 people living in all of French Canada by the time the British arrived, compared to 750,000 living in Haiti alone. So it just gives you some sort of perspective at where the concentration of French effort was put during the 1700s and where the money was coming from, which is the Caribbean, uh, uh, from um, uh, sugar and alcohol and uh, coffee um, and the alcohol production etc 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 um the um uh, during the um uh, french revolution all kinds of things happened the french revolution was a was a was a kind of a a break in what had been going on in Europe for all the centuries. And uh, during the French Revolution, once it broke out in 1789, the slaves uh, revolted in Haiti against the French administration because obviously France was too busy uh, fighting off a revolution to send uh, uh, troops down to Haiti. And in 1791, was in other words, two years after the revolution began, the slaves revolted in Haiti and um, demanded their freedom and uh, fought against any of the whites on the island who were trying to protect their uh, their plantations or the French administration. Um, in 1792, France did send some troops to put down the revolt. But uh, they didn't uh, succeed very well. And in the middle of the French Revolution, you might remember a guy named Robespierre. He um, was one of the radical leaders of France who took power briefly in 1792. And at that point, he freed all the slaves. Um, The revolution uh, in Haiti was led by a former slave and a former French soldier. And his name was Toussaint Louverture. And uh, the name Toussaint and Toussaint Louverture is sort of famous in Haitian history. His picture and his statues are all over the place. Um, but uh, he was eventually captured um, in uh, one of the French campaigns, brought over to jail in uh, France, and he died there in jail. So he had a successor whose name was Jean-Jacques de uh who proclaimed independence um, uh, in 1804. And, um, you know, this was again, still in the middle of the, um, still in the middle of the sort of, um, French revolution, but already by that time, Napoleon had taken over the rule leadership in France and Napoleon sent uh, more troops to try to, uh, take back Haiti and did not succeed. So when uh, the Haitian state was proclaimed, uh, it was the first state in the Caribbean, the first free state in all of the Caribbean or Latin America, because uh, the whole area was either controlled by Spain or by France or by Holland um, or by Portugal in Brazil um, or by Denmark. Uh, There were no such thing as an independent country in all of North and South America and the Caribbean except for the U.S. The U.S. had only declared its independence in 1776, and you know was recognized by Great Britain in 1781. And uh, Haiti was the number two state then, the number two uh, free state in the uh, New World. Um, when uh, when uh, Napoleon decided to take back. Haiti, he sent 20,000 soldiers, uh, most of them died quickly from yellow fever. He then sent more troops, 50,000, 50,000 French troops died trying to recapture Haiti. Um, uh, so it just gives you an idea of how much France sort of invested in the state, how much, how big France considered the state, Remember, France did not try to recapture um, Quebec from the British uh, You know, in the middle of this war that Britain had with France, the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, France never sent any kind of troops to, the, to North America to try to get Quebec back, but they sent 50,000 soldiers, which is a huge amount, to try to get Haiti back. So it just goes to show you know, what was important to them. Um, uh, Napoleon actually surrendered in um, 1803, 1804, um, uh, because the Dessalines, who was the leader of Haiti, he, he never tried to confront the French directly because he couldn't defeat the troops. But he kind of waited them out, used guerrilla tactics and let the French troops die of disease. Um, obviously, they weren't used to the heat and humidity. And um, Napoleon gave up, withdrew 7,000 troops. And think of this, okay? This is quite interesting. That When Napoleon gave up uh, Haiti, um, it, it kind of opened the door for Napoleon to sell Louisiana to the Americans. In other words, the French thought, well, if we can't have an empire in, in, um, nor- in North America or in the New World, uh we may as well of course you know they were in the middle of a war and they needed money um but they sold uh louisiana to the u.s uh for you know uh millions of dollars which was not a huge amount in a way it was a large amount but not a huge amount and the louisiana purchase to remind you was not just louisiana but was really pretty well the whole mississippi river almost up to minnesota So all of that area was controlled by France at a certain point. And they sold it to the U.S. under Thomas Jefferson, who was the president at the time. And that was the end of French, um, uh, you know, French uh, presence in North America, except for, you know, tiny St. Pierre-Nicolas. So Haiti, in a way, the loss of Haiti was the the sort of, uh, we'll call it the first step in the expansion of the United States to the West. Of course, you know, after that, the US still had the Spanish to deal with back out in California, New Mexico, and Arizona. But once the Louisiana purchase was done, it it opened the doors for all Western expansion in the United States. And I would say, or some people would say that this is all thanks to the Haitian revolution. Of course, you you never get an American to to say anything like that. Um, uh, the revolution uh, itself took hundreds of thousands of lives. So there's no real accurate figure of how many people died during this revolution, but it was hundreds of thousands, uh, both of slaves and Europeans, uh, because of all the disruptions and because of the um, fighting and because of disease and everything else. It really sort of put Haiti, uh, although Haiti became a free country, it kind of, uh, the we'll call it the, the the people who ran the country, the elites, um, either died in battle or they left Haiti uh, to emigrate to Cuba or to the United States um, after the revolution. Uh, he, um, he meaning Dessalines, named the country Haiti. Haiti, the name Haiti is an Indian name, uh, indigenous name for the country. Uh, so the French had called it Saint-Domingue and uh, he renamed it Haiti. Uh, he proclaimed himself emperor for life. Um, in After the revolution was over, any whites that were left there uh, were killed by, um, by Dessalines and the revolutionaries. They killed every white they could get their hands on, except for doctors and professionals, and women who agreed to marry non-white men. Um, the United States refused to recognize Haiti. Now think of it as the only other independent country in the new world, but obviously the US had its reasons for refusing to recognize Haiti. The main one being that it was as a result of a successful slave revolt. And the U.S. did not want to give its own slaves the idea that they could revolt too. So the U.S. withheld its recognition of Haiti, which was independent, call it in 1804. Uh, The U.S. only recognized Haiti in 1862, meaning in the middle of the Civil War, when Lincoln wanted to um, encourage the blacks in the South to rebel, and so he recognized Haiti at that point uh, to sort of, in other words, give the blacks in the South the hope that they would be free just like the Blacks in Haiti were free um, at that point. The refugees who left there were 9,000 refugees, uh, both whites and mulattoes, especially. And they went to um, they went to, to Cuba uh, first, just you know, kind of the nearest place. And from there, they actually went. To, many of them went to New Orleans. So New Orleans, as many of you know, has this kind of unique Creole culture of French-speaking mulattos uh, who date from the time of refugees from Haiti. Uh, and ninth, when they came, they doubled the population of New Orleans. So this this became a very significant. Um, uh, part of the New Orleans population. Um, you know, many people know that the Acadians uh, were exiled from Nova Scotia and also went to Louisiana and spoke also spoke French, but there's a difference between that population and the population coming from Haiti, who were um, Creoles, I mean, in other words, mixture of white and black, um, speaking uh French also but a different kind of French and um, you know, these people formed the kind of basis of society in New Orleans and the Acadians didn't really live in New Orleans. They lived in the kind of coastal areas, uh, uh, rural areas um, uh, of uh, Louisiana where they could fish and uh, crab and do the same things they were doing back home in Nova Scotia. Um. Mr. Dessalines himself, uh, unfortunately for him, was assassinated in 1806. So not long after he became emperor for life, his life kind of <laughs> went short. Um, and at that point, Haiti was divided into two, two parts by his successors. One of his successors uh, was, his name was Henri Christophe and he, um, he um, formed a kind of a kingdom in Northern Haiti. He was also a mulatto. And in the South, uh, there was a republic that was set up by a man named Petion, who was the another uh, one of his uh, followers or generals uh, of Dessalines. And um, the uh, Eastern part of the island, as I mentioned before, was held on by the French just for a few more years until 1809. In 1821, Haiti was reunited or united again. Um, And at the same year, 1821, the Dominican Republic was founded with its capital at Santiago. So, you know, the 1820s was a period after the uh, Napoleonic Wars, when all of Central and South America declared its independence from Spain. And by the time this period was over, uh, Spain only owned Puerto Rico um, uh, and Cuba, uh, as far as its possessions in the whole of South America became independent, the whole of Central America became independent, and only uh, the islands of Puerto Rico and Cuba remained in Spanish hands until 1898, when they, uh, you know, there was a war with the United States and uh, they lost those two territories. Um Uh, The uh, history of Haiti from during the 1800s was one of great political instability. Uh, At certain points, they went to war with the Dominican Republic. Um, There was a desire, a very important uh, uh, point is that interestingly enough, in 1825, so shortly after Haiti was reunited, France tried again to send a military uh, garrison to try to retake Haiti. So it just goes to show how serious France was about Haiti and how much they resented the loss of Haiti. And when they sent this military garrison, uh, they, they the Haitians um, were forced to pay a ransom for France to leave Uh, the country. And this is a a very unknown fact. And you know, when people look at why Haiti is such a poor country, uh, why things are going so bad, people don't realize that France demanded a ransom of 150 million francs, which is a lot of money, um, so that Haiti could remain a free country. And in my research for this uh, talk, I was reading that Haiti continued to pay this ransom out annually and only finished paying it off in 1947. Imagine, you know, 125 years of paying a ransom to France uh, for their freedom explains why there was no money left over in the country to develop it. Um, Another another point was that in order to raise this money, the the president um, tried to... uh, make Haiti into a kind of a commodity exporting country agricultural exports. And he, he, he kind of um, uh, forbade any Haitians moving from the countryside to the towns. So they were forced or almost locked in to the uh, plantations that they worked on, even though they weren't slaves, they were being paid, but not much. And he limited freedom of movement um, there. Another interesting point is that uh, during these 1820s period, um, African-Americans, 6,000 of them moved to Haiti. Remember that there was a period in the 1820s and 1830s when people were trying to solve the so-called black problem in the United States. And uh, one of the thoughts was well, to export black Americans Uh, out of the country in order to diminish their numbers and uh, one of the uh, kind of results of that was the founding of Liberia in Africa for freed African slaves, African-American slaves. That was in the 1830s and 40s and in the 1820s 6,000 of them moved to Haiti uh, because Haiti was an independent black country but of course uh, Haiti and America were two different places and when they got there They saw what a a mess it was, and they quickly moved back to the United States. Um, The uh, 1800s were just a succession of coups, coups d'etats, and a succession of different leaders in the country. Um, So not a lot of of stability and not a lot of development. Uh, in World War One, uh, the United States uh, invaded to um, uh, control Haiti and to prevent an anti-German, an anti, um, anti-U.S. government from forming there. And Germany had, you know, uh, invested some time and effort in Haiti. They actually even sent some German colonists over to Haiti, and the U.S. was afraid that Haiti might become a German ally. And so the U.S. invaded in uh, 1915 and the troops stayed in Haiti till, I think, 1934. Um, The, uh, under the U.S. kind of administration, Haiti finally started to build uh, some infrastructure. Uh, They had the first phones, the first automatic telephone system in the Caribbean. Um, And uh, the, the, uh, the state was still kind of under, you'd call it almost a feudal type of uh, rulership. So um, people were forced to stay in the countryside. They were forced to give their labor to the state. Um, the, uh, in general, kind of the upper class and the mulattoes in the country supported the U.S. and the all-black population didn't support the U.S. In Haiti, roughly five percent of the people are, are mulattoes, and these are the people who, till this very day, run the um, the are the upper class of the country, run the country, run the businesses, are involved in politics. Um, uh, not uh, quite at the very top of the pyramid, but you know, just underneath it. Um, the uh, po- After the Second World War, there was a bit of a tourist boom in Haiti, uh, because you remember the 1950s were a kind of a period of huge expansion in the U.S., a huge period of, uh, um, you know, the U.S. was the top dog in the whole world. Uh, you remember those movies, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. The U.S. had, Americans had so much money compared to everyone else that they went everywhere as tourists, and they some of them came to Haiti. Um Noel Coward and Truman Capote and Graham Green uh, both all spent time in Haiti. Uh, Green, Graham Green wrote his novel, The Comedians about Haiti. Um, and um, uh, it was a, it, the, the 50s were uh, probably the best decade that Haiti had uh, up until now. In 1957, Haiti was taken over by Francois Duvalier. He was elected uh, as president, also called Papa Doc. He um, became a dictator in the country. Uh, He ruled Haiti from 1957 to 1971. He set up a kind of a secret police um, unit called the Tonton Macoute who were out to terrorize any of his opponents. Uh, when he died, he, he uh, w- one of the things that Duvalier did was he tried to diminish the power of the mulatto elite in Haiti, which he did, because Duvalier himself was uh, all black. Um, he put down a revolt in 1964, uh, and the U.S. backed him because, uh, you know, they backed all kinds of dictators. If you said you were a friend of the U.S., if you were anti-communist, you got backing. Remember that in uh, 1960 uh, Castro took over in Cuba, and the U.S. was definitely afraid that uh, this sort of um, communist uh, insurgency would be copied all over the Latin America. And so, any strong man who was uh, was an ally of the uh, of the United States got the U.S. backing. And Duvalier was one of these people. And Duvalier was loyal to the U.S. also. Um, he Duvalier supported the Voodoo religion, which is a kind of a, uh, a religion that was brought from Africa by the slaves in Africa and kind of uh, mixed with Catholicism. And his uh, practice was practiced practic- and is still practiced uh, in Haiti. And uh, Duvalier was a uh, supporter of that. In fact, um, what's interesting is that the the Black population who came to Haiti, uh, of all the people, uh, almost, I would say, of almost all the people who came, all the Africans who came to the Americas, are the closest ones who still, uh, to their own origins back in Africa. So in their music, in their dance, in their food, and even in the language, um, uh, there are much more reminders of Africa than there are say in America or in the other Caribbean uh, states, like Jamaica, Trinidad, uh, etc. cetera. Um, so after Duvalier died, his son Baby Doc took over from 71 to 86. If you might remember, he was a big, uh, big man and he was married to one of the most prominent mulatto families in Haiti, the Bennett family. Uh, He it's estimated that he stole about 500 million dollars from the Haitian Treasury in the uh, 15 years that he was president. So, in other words, if you think of it, um, you know, Haiti has been hobbled by corruption or by the steep uh, ransom payments to France. And, um, you know, if one tries to figure out why the country is so poor, which it is, we'll get into the economy afterward. Um, You know, mismanagement and corruption are probably the very high, high on the list, because if you just contrast Haiti with its neighbor, Dominican Republic, um, you know, there's a big difference in the standard of living in the two countries um, and, uh, you know, in the way the countries are run. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's corruption can be a death knell for a country and um, exclusive power also so you know where you have free and fair elections and where you have a a free press um, these serve to um, we'll call it to open up uh, to show people what's really going on in the country to give people a choice and therefore corruption cannot be that ingrained where you have a free press and where you have democratic elections because they they would just throw out the uh the corrupt leaders and not allow them to build up such a base and such a system of, of, of stealing and, and to create a a kind of a military uh force or police force which are loyal to them only and not to the state itself. And this is kind of what's what happened in Haiti, you know, from the olden days until until recently. So um uh Mr. Baby Doc Duvalier, uh, you know, when people got fed up enough and started to, uh, to uh, demonstrate against him, he took his money and his wife and moved to France. Um, a popular leader was elected, Mr. Aristide, uh, who took over finally uh, after 1990. Uh, he was quickly kicked out by the powers that be. Um, the United States sent troops back into Haiti in 1994, and they reinstalled Aristide, who um, who uh, was president for 10 years, who tried to bring about many reforms in the country, but who also was accused of stealing money from the from the government from the country. Um, since our after Aristide uh, left, it was just a kind of a succession of uh, incompetence and. Uh, uh, coups and um, uh, temporary governments and compromises uh, from then until today. Uh, there was also a whole series of natural disasters that hit Haiti. You know, um, you know, maybe because of global warming or not, there were several hurricanes in 2010. There was the 7.0 earthquake in um, uh, close to Port-au-Prince. Also in 2010, which um, uh, killed somewhere around 220 to 300 thousand people. Now, just think of it in this day and age, right? We're not talking about uh, India in the 1800s, but that a natural disaster could kill so many people is a sign of how weak the infrastructure of Haiti was and is. How crowded? Uh, how crowded they uh, live. How poorly constructed their houses are, how uh, weak the government is to provide, uh, you know, evacuation, transportation, health care, medical care to people who are injured, um, if that many people could be killed in a natural disaster. In fact, um, you know, there's signs all around Fort-O-Prince, and this this, uh, earthquake hit, not in central Port-au-Prince, which is the capital city, but pretty darn close to it. And there's still piles of cement rubble all over the place in suburban uh, Port-au-Prince uh, as a result of this earthquake that hasn't been cleaned up or hasn't been put away. Um, it, it was The earthquake caused the homelessness of one and a half million people. So which is, which was more than 10% of the whole population of the country uh, were rendered homeless by the earthquake. All kinds of aid was sent, as you know. Uh, Canada sent aid. U.S. sent aid. Um, the United States allowed people to come to the U.S. as as kind of uh, climate refugees. And uh, you know, Trump tried to end off that program. And um, uh, some Haitians living in the U.S. are still given temporary status because of the um, because of the earthquake. The United Nations sent in uh, a whole squad of people to try to help out. And believe it or not, these people who came in from the UN started a cholera epidemic in in Haiti, which killed 10,000 people. If I'm not mistaken, the, the, the soldiers that came in were from Nepal. They brought cholera with them. And, you know, it was just one disaster on top of another disaster. In 2017, this juvenile Moise, the guy who was assassinated, became president. Uh, there were uh, constant riots and um, uh, demonstrations against him because of fuel prices. He led a kind of an authoritarian type government. He didn't. Uh, he didn't. Um, you know, have elections at the time that were supposed to be held. Um, he was assassinated. Uh, uh, a week ago, his wife was severely wounded. She was fly, flew to Fort Lauderdale. And um, because of unclear succession, nobody really knows now. The prime minister became the head of state. Uh, you know, the head of state is the president. So the current prime minister um, uh, claimed to be the head of state, except that this prime minister was um, replaced by another man uh, two days before the assassination. And um, so nobody, both both of these people claim they are the temporary head of the country. Um, under the Constitution, the Chief Justice is the, becomes the head of the country, but that Chief Justice died of COVID um, a couple of months before. So there really is a power vacuum in the country. Um, the, uh, the United States was... Uh, asked to send troops into Haiti to bring order to the country. But, uh, you know, President Biden is not uh, anxious to get the U.S. involved in sort of no-win situations. That's why he pulled the troops out of Afghanistan. And I don't think he's interested in in ending up in Haiti, um, bogged down by the same kind of inefficiencies and corruption that uh, the country has had uh, all its life. Um, there, there have been 32 coups or illegal changes of government in Haiti since its foundation. It just tells you how unstable the whole political system is. Um, it's also a country, uh, besides corruption, the drug trade is, uh, is, uh, we'll call it, strong there because of corruption, allowing drug dealers and drug importers and drug shippers to have a base there in the country. The country is full of unemployment and poverty. The police are corrupt. The prisons are overfilled. And it's really a, a kind of a failed state. Um, if, if there ever was an example of a failed state, Haiti is one of them, is, is one. The country has now somewhere around 11 and a half million people and um, I think uh, I'm trying to see here what percentage let me see here somewhere I have written down what percentage live on two dollars a day. it's somewhere it's somewhere pretty high uh, less than three quarters of the population are living on less than two dollars a day. So it gives you an idea of how poor the country is, how unstable it is, and um, you know how miserable it is. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere by far, and uh, it's one of the poorest countries in the whole world. You know, even including some of the African countries. Um, the country has been deforested because people have been cutting wood down for fuel and for charcoal. Um, you know, sometimes you could see on a, on a a Google map or on a drone, uh, the clear line of the border between Haiti and Dominican Republic, it's green on the Dominican side and sort of brown on the Haitian side. You know, it reminds me of pictures that they used to show between Israel and the West Bank of kind of green on one side and brown on the other side. So deforestation has, has happened in Haiti. And obviously if there's a lot of storms, then all of this, uh, um uh rain shoots down the rivers and uh, floods out the people because there's no forest to hold the hold the water back in in the land. Um, the overpopulation leads to over use of the land over farming of it. Um, people have sheep and goats who which eat up all the vegetation um there the hurricane season, is now uh, getting stronger. As we all know, some hurricanes have become stronger and stronger. In fact, this Hurricane Elsa, just uh, our first one of the year, uh, went over Haiti. Um, Haiti is also sitting on a fault line uh, between the Caribbean plate, which is moving to the east and the North American plate, which stays the same. And so that's why there was earthquakes in Haiti. Uh, The big one, besides the 2010 one, there was another one in 2008. And, um, you know, it it just goes to uh, show how precarious life is in, um, you know, in that country because of that. Um, So uh, in the economy, uh, sort of the, uh, the human development index, in other words, how well are people off in the country? Haiti ranks 145th out of 182 countries. Uh, corruption, instability, poor infrastructure, no health care, no education. You know, people live in slums. Uh, it's a tough life. And needless to say, people want to leave the country. And, 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 and uh, you know, over a million uh, Haitians have left to look for greener pastures. Uh, the biggest countries that they've gone to are uh, the U.S., Um, the Dominican Republic, there's almost a million Haitians living in the Dominican Republic, uh, some of whom have received kind of permanent status and some of whom not. They work in the worst jobs in the Dominican Republic, which are cutting pineapples and sugar cane. Um, So, you know, the Dominican Republic is not a wealthy country on its own. But it's able to provide uh, jobs to Haitians who are willing to work, uh, you know, hot hours in the sun, cutting sugarcane, which is not easy, or, or harvesting pineapples, which is also not easy. Uh, so there are about a million There's about a million living in the U.S. The statistic I saw was somewhere around 200,000 Haitians living in Canada. There's also Haitians who've gone to live in Cuba, believe it or not. Uh, And in the Bahamas, uh, you know, there's a whole group of Haitians who tried to get to the U.S. via the Bahamas and ended up staying in the Bahamas and again, doing the doing the most menial jobs in hotels and things like that. Um, Haitians economy is not uh, it's 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 not that strong, as we said They do export some uh, agricultural products like mangoes that, you know, we see those in stores in Montreal, Uh, also cocoa and coffee and papayas. Um, They also grow a plant I was reading uh, and I I forget the name of it, but some kind of a very rare plant that's used in making perfume. And they're the biggest growers in the world of this plant. But obviously this can't uh, contribute all that much to the economy. Venezuela was giving Haiti help until the oil collapsed. Until you know, Venezuela itself went into the into the pits. So um, you know, Venezuela was giving Haiti oil for a low price, and uh, you know that stopped. Uh, so electricity production in Haiti is very low. Um, less than a quarter of the people have uh, sort of real standard electrical services. The rest of uh, people, you know, they need generators or have no electricity at all. So no electricity means no refrigerators and, uh, you know, it just means, uh, you know, no lights to to read by and to study. It makes life pretty hard without electricity. Uh, some people are so poor that they rent out their children to be uh, sort of maids or servants of richer Haitians. Um, and these people are supposed to provide the children with uh, education and and housing etc but you know some of them end up being treated worse than the pets that these people have um, most people live in shacks in slums with no indoor plumbing no toilets um, and on the other hand the wealthy people who are in haiti and there are plenty of those they live in these huge uh, guarded uh, guarded, uh, what would you call them, the palaces, surrounded by barbed wire, surrounded by a whole security system, surrounded by guards and dogs and everything else. But, you know, the president who was living in one of these houses somehow got assassinated and uh, where was his security? One wonders. No one has sort of uh, tried to answer that question. Um, But, you know, something happened there. He was killed by 26 Colombians and two Haitian Americans and nobody knows in a way who who paid these people or why it was done. Um, Another uh, point in the economy is the tourism, you know, uh, the cruise ship industry, many of you have been on cruises and you stopped in Haiti, uh, you know, in that private port that uh, I forget who it is. I think it's Royal Caribbean has one there. So this brings in about $200 million to Haiti a year, a very important part of the economy. Um, with all that cheap labor, you would think that they would be a good place to set up manufacturing, like, like for clothing industry or shoes. And uh, there is one big Korean company who set up an enormous plant in Haiti with 5,000 workers. And of course, the Haitian government is hoping that this can come back, you know, can, can continue. Uh, can continue. Um, As I said before, uh, you know, because the country is so poor, they haven't uh, attracted immigration from other places to Haiti. But some people have come, some Lebanese and some Indians and some Chinese are, are there to run sort of small scale businesses like they do everywhere else in the Caribbean. Uh, just to speak a bit about the language in Haiti, because we all know about Haitians, and uh, they have two official languages: the French language itself, and the Creole language, which is ninety percent French. And if any of you have heard Haitians speaking Creole here in Montreal, you'll realize very quickly that you can't understand the word; uh, it sounds so different. It's even written, so there is a written Creole language, which is very phonetic. In other words, it doesn't use all the French spelling; it just Writes the words the way they're spoken. Um, French is spoken by somewhere around forty percent of the people, and everybody in the country speaks Creole. Um, but if you're an educated person, of course, you have to learn French. English and Spanish, you know, are also important uh, to learn. But uh, French is the sort of the business language and the government language, etc. Creole itself, that language is mostly French, but also has additions from uh, Indian languages, uh, from Spanish a bit, uh, and it has a sort of an African way of, of, of speaking or an African syntax. So, you know, elements of African are still there in the Haitian uh, languages. Um, just to mention again, uh, you know, um, some of the great Haitians who've left Haiti, uh, you know, Michael Jean, who was our governor general, uh, Dominique Langlade, who is now the head of the Liberal Party in Quebec. She's of Haitian origin. Um, this guy, James Audubon, who was the ornithologist in the States, wrote these beautiful books about birds. He was in Haiti. The founder of Chicago, his name was Du Sable. He was a Haitian. And, you know, Wycliffe Jean, the hip hop artist and Other people, Sean Penn, lived in Haiti for a long time. So, um, you know, that's a kind of a bit of an introduction about the country. It's um, uh, a country which, uh, in a certain sense, was the richest in the Americas in the 1700s. And then today is the poorest in the Americas in the 2020s. So they've gone, you know, downhill, downhill. uh quite uh, considerably and um there are no easy solutions to the problems in the country you know the overpopulation is and the deforestation um uh, it's not easy to work your way out of poverty uh when you've been there for so long and when it's sort of sort of ingrained in the country um the start has to be with an efficient and and honest administration, and with foreign aid and foreign investment, um, that's how it's going to go. I did mention, you know, that there's over a million Haitians living abroad and they send back money, uh, including lots of Haitians living in Montreal, which has, I think, over 100,000 Haitians. So the money that these people send back is a considerable part of the Haitian economy, just as uh, immigrants in Europe send money back to Africa. Uh, and the Middle East, um, you know, to help their own uh, their own country, their own families back home. So Haiti is also one that receives a lot of money from abroad, but um, you know they missed out on the whole tourist. And when the tourists get back to going to uh, the Caribbean, because Haiti is, is, offers so little to tourists because it's such a dangerous place um, and such an unpleasant place to to travel in they're missing out on on the easiest money there is to be made um i know that uh, there's this amazing and i mean really amazing building fortress in uh the northern on the northern coast of haiti uh near the second biggest city cap and it's only uh somewhere i think around 40 might be 40 miles from The cruise port in northern Haiti and I said to people you know why doesn't the cruise company offer an excursion up to the fort I mean it would certainly be good to do and they said well there just isn't a road and the government has no money to build one and the security and blah 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 and uh, visas and everything else and so it's not done it just is kind of a potential that's not there so uh this is the uh, let me check my time yeah so this is the um, uh, what I have to say about that and I'm now free to take questions on any subject that you want and we'll do a different subject for next week but I thought that it would be interesting to learn about the country, maybe see if any of you have ever been there outside of the uh, outside of the cruise uh, the cruise beach um, and uh, thank you very much for listening. So for any comments and questions, uh, let me know. By the way, uh, Miami, for those of you who are, you know, who spend time in Florida, if you go to Miami City, there is a district there called Little Haiti. Uh, it's somewhere around, uh, we'll call it... Uh, the 60s and 70s um, and west of Biscayne Boulevard. And they have a whole little sort of Haitian community center there and a Haitian art center and the Haitian restaurants. And if you want to get a touch of what Haiti feels like when you're in the winter, just go down there and and, uh, walk around a bit. Angela, any action there?
2: Uh, yes, uh, Steve. Please unmute yourself and ask your question to uh, Mr. Dwaskin. Okay. Uh, hi, Hershey.
1: Um, hi, Steve. Would Thanks you for listening. Pardon me? I said thank you for listening.
2: Oh, it's always a pleasure. Hershey, would you care to comment on uh, what's taking place in Cuba now with uh, people protesting? Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's a you know, it's a what good you subject. Answers are of of uh, Cuba becoming a, uh, a, a free country once again.
1: Um, so there were demonstrations this uh, week in Cuba. Um, and uh, the most important, one of the more, more important facts is that these demonstrations occurred all across the country and not just in one place at one time. The demonstrations were uh, complaining about the um, low standard of living, the, the uh the shortages of food the shortages of fuel um and but most interestingly enough uh complaining that they wanted freedom and they wanted an end to the communist dictatorship um you know in the days of the castro administration these uh, type of demonstrations never existed and if they did they were very very quickly put down and if they did they were not nearly as widespread as these demonstrations are. So um, part of the reason for the demonstrations is that life really has become tough in Cuba. Uh, The standard of living has really dropped and this has to do with several factors. One of course is the end of the Soviet Union's um, help to Cuba. Uh, And after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Venezuela, again, the oil power was helping Cuba out a lot by giving it uh, fuel for free or for almost free. And the COVID crisis is another factor that, um, you know, the COVID has hit Cuba. Uh, People are, you know, agitated about it. And, 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 you know, the lockdowns affected people's lives just as as they did everywhere else. Um, The change in power from the Castro family, who finally, uh, Fidel's brother Raul retired uh, last year, 2020, and uh, the government was taken over by new blood, Mr. Canel, uh, but who who lacks the charisma that the Castro uh, family gave to Cuba, Um, people are just tired and fed up. What's new in this whole thing is the internet. So the internet allowed people to communicate through Facebook and other apps to sort of get themselves on the same wavelength to organize a time and a place. And the Cuban government wasn't fast enough to close down the internet, which allowed people to organize. And so that's what happened. Now, uh, I visited Cuba uh, about... 4 years ago i'd say spent a week in havana and the thing all the thing that the young people were looking for the most was free internet and they would gather in what you know what we would call hotspots in other words a place where the signal was good they'd all have their cell phones out they'd all be kind of reaching their cell phones here and there to grab a signal and you would see hundreds and i mean hundreds of young people sort of in the parks or on the edge of the streets, or just, and when I went and asked them, well, what are you doing here? They said, oh, we're here to get the signal. So, um, you know, they're very uh, tech savvy, like all the younger people are these days. And uh, things just came to a head and, uh, you know, the, you know, the uh, demonstrations took place. Now there were lots of arrests. There were uh, lots of plain clothes, Government officials who look like regular citizens, but who who are really sort of secret police, who grabbed some of these people and arrested them, and um, you know the fact that the government had to act in that way uh, to actually take action against them uh, is a sign of weakness in the government, and that um, of course the families who were affected by these arrests uh, are just further uh, sort of um, uh, you know, put farther away from the regime. The fact that these arrests are publicized uh, means that the whole country knows that something else, something is wrong. The president of the country, Mr. Cannell, blamed everything on the Americans, which of course is what he would do. And I forgot to mention that America did have a hand in making the uh, living conditions worse in Cuba. Uh, this was Mr. Trump, who... Um, made the embargo on Cuba even stronger uh, who forbade uh, cruise ships landing in America to visit Cuba as they did have a cruise and still do have a cruise uh, industry uh, of European ships and um, um, uh, also regulated the amount of visiting that could be done by Americans going to Cuba. So when I went to Cuba, when I was there, they had a regular flight. A jet blue flight from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Uh, it took about 40 minutes to land in Havana. But uh, these type of flights, I think, were cut off. And so uh, America had its place in making life in Cuba harder. But, um, you know, it's not the decisive factor in the in the discontent and the the problems that the country faces. There was also a poor sugar harvest this past year because of climate. And uh, sugar is still um, one of the main exports that Cuba has. And so when putting everything together, it really um, it really caused a drop in living standard of the population. Uh, you also may, re- may know uh, that in Cuba, they tried to invent this sort of fake system of two currencies. In other words, one currency equal to the US dollar, and a local currency for the locals to use. The idea was that tourists would come and spend US dollars and they would be able to buy things in shops that catered to them. And regular Cubans wouldn't go into those shops because they didn't have US dollars. But of course, needless to say, in any kind of economy, the money goes to where the money is. And so the tourist shops were full of goods and the local shops had no goods. Um, even though the prices were very low in the local shops, there just wasn't I think anything on the shelves to sell. Uh, you know, and I saw that myself with my own two eyes. Um, the government sort of provides a, a free monthly um, allocation or ration of basic needs, you know, like rice and sugar and bread and things like that. But the amounts that they give are really not enough to supply a family for a whole month, and uh, you know, people then have to buy in the sort of dollar shops, but, you know, they don't have the money to do it. The government finally got rid of this dual currency system because it didn't achieve anything and immediately 50, $60, 80 $100 a month a month and um, you know the prices of things in many cases were not much less than we are paying uh, for food and other supplies that are coming from abroad so um, you know life is tough there and people just reacted.
2: What would it take to overthrow that government? I didn't hear you well what would it take to overthrow that government? Oh,
1: what would it take to overthrow the government? Well, you know, easier said than done. Uh,
2: just uh, in the case of Haiti. A of suggestions.
1: Yeah, in the case of Haiti, as I said, you know, uh, well, one, one thing would be if America would decide to sort of strongly back a rebel force, which they tried to do against Castro out uh, in the Bay of Pigs and they failed. Uh so I would say uh, American for- or foreign backing by money and by weapons would be uh, a necessity because there's no way that opposition forces in Cuba could organize and arm themselves uh, to overthrow the government, which is not going to give in. The government is not going to say, well, OK, you know, we see there's opposition to us, so let's have a constitutional convention. Let's have democracy. Let's have elections. They're not going to go down that road. And there is strong, by the way, there is strong backing for the government. And the American embargo, which they started uh, in 1960, so that embargo is now 60 years old, has not achieved anything in terms of of, uh, kicking out the government. It's, it's, It's given the government the weapon or the excuse to say, well, this is all America's fault. It's not our fault. If we wouldn't have an embargo, you would be very well off. But we are defending Cuba and Cuba's honor against the Americans who are always attacking us. So, um, you know, it's another example of how a failure, a failed policy uh, continues because the people making the policy are too embarrassed to say that they fail. And, you know, if, if the embargo didn't succeed in 60 years, why would it succeed, you know, in the next year? That kind of that kind of logic. And this goes for Iran also. You notice that uh, the the Iran embargo that the U.S. put on uh, hasn't changed the government in Iran either.
2: Well, with re- with regards to uh, Cuba and and the uh, influence, uh, particularly of uh, the uh, Russians, uh, Russia is in a situation now with uh, Crimea that they would like. The Americans to stay out of their sphere of influence, as do the Chinese with regards to Taiwan. I'm not saying that America should stay out of these places; they shouldn't. But given that Cuba is ninety miles off of the coast of Florida, America would have the uh, would have the same argument to uh, to to China, to Iran, and to Russia that this is America's sphere of influence and. Uh, I think that it would be uh, time to really do something serious to get rid of that, to get rid of that regime. And I think that there are enough cats in Florida who probably have enough money or could raise enough money that they could put together an army. And I think that with the changes that have happened in technology, particularly with the uh, internet, that if they could find ways to uh, get around the censorship of the, Uh, internet, if that would uh, help the Cuban people to organize and get their act together and uh, get their country back from these thugs. Uh,
1: Yeah, you have some good points, uh, particularly about the uh, communications networks and things like that. As far as finding an army and being able to invade, um, not easier said than done, I would say. I also should mention uh, that one of the factors that led to the uh, sort of um, downturn in the Cuban economy was the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. So the Soviets were giving the Cubans lots and lots of money. They were doing it by buying sugar at high, highly inflated prices and sending oil to Cuba at very low prices. Yeah. Uh- when the Soviet Union collapsed, all 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 russian aid to cuba stopped they just didn't have the money to keep pouring into the country and they and they're not doing it now so really in a certain sense and the chinese aren't either so uh there isn't a lot of foreign money coming into cuba to prop up the regime at this point and and the proof of that is is that um the people are are, are not well off if they you know if they if there was that much money coming in, there would be you would be um, you know at least spread around a bit. Okay. So uh, you know it, it's actually we're in a maybe in a situation of flux that remains to be seen where this will all end. If 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 the if a momentum can be built to um, to rebel against the regime, and if enough people get behind it. Um, the regime will collapse by itself. In other words, uh, there'll be enough disloyal police people and army people to change sides and, and toss out the government. That's the most likely way that this would happen. The moment that you have foreign invaders coming in, then the government can unite the country against these foreign invaders. So, you know, that's kind of where... Things are right now. I, if I were the Cuban administration, I definitely would be uh, worried because these demonstrations were so genuine and so wide felt and so local. In other words, this wasn't uh, American who bought, who bought, let's say, um, you know, opposition leaders or who paid stooges to go out on the streets. This all came from the people itself. And from regular, regular kind of people.
2: Okay, thanks very much.
1: Richard. You're welcome, Steve. Thank you for thank you for listening. Thank you for asking. I really I, I appreciate it a lot. My pleasure. Bye bye. Anyone else uh, out there, Angela? Uh,
2: no, I don't see anybody else. So, do you have any last words or words of wisdom that you would like?
1: Um, well, uh, let's say that, um, you know, sometimes I do give a sort of a, uh, we'll call it a, a, a an up-to-date COVID um, statement, and I'll do it next week. But, um, uh, you know, we're in the sort of stage where the government has to really decide whether to completely open up or not, uh, when the borders will open up or not. Uh, when life will get back to normal, uh, in-person in learning, etc., uh, at universities, and um, these decisions have to be thought about now for September, and um, you know we'll see where all of this ends up. But you know, Canada, as opposed to the U.S., is really on a good track, and um, you know we have to just keep up the vaccination uh, system, and um, you know try to get people who are reluctant to get vaccinated to 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 do that because obviously that's the way the whole country will get protected um so um yeah i'll come up with a different subject for next week we'll see where things go and i want to thank everybody for tuning in and for listening and uh, i'll see you all next week
0: thanks a lot for listening to the Cote St. Luke podcast today. We launched the podcast and telephone broadcasting service in March 2020. The idea was to get content from Parks and Recreation and the library into your homes using Zoom, telephone, and podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review at Apple Podcasts, and share it with your friends. For more information about programs at the library, visit csllibrary.org. For information about the City of cote St. Luke, visit codesaintluke.org. Have a great day.